God is good. All the time. Happy Tuesday. Good to see each and every one of you. Welcome. 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 And to the 20 to 40 people that we have watching Bible study online, welcome to all of you as well. I know. I, I, asked, I asked Jacob, what's her number? And 20 to 40 on a, on, a given, on a given Tuesday or throughout the week. So we appreciate you watching as well. Um, you don't get to see all the people who are here, but uh, everyone here says hi. Uh, and uh, if you ever want to stop by on a Tuesday, we'd love to have you. Well, let's pray. God, our prayer is for those who are chosen. Chosen for a life of love. Chosen for a life of grace. Chosen to walk your walk and to talk your talk. And Lord, there are days I am chosen and there are days that I'm kind of on the outside. But I know that within your mercy, no one's on the outside. Within your love, no one is beyond the, the reach of your, of your arms. So Lord, for all of us here today and those watching online, we certainly are chosen to be your people and you are our God. As we read this book together, let us remind ourselves that nothing, nothing in life or in death can separate us from your great love. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Well, friends, we are in 2 Corinthians. We're in chapter 7. There are 13 chapters in this book. So uh, after this, we are halfway done uh, with, with 2 Corinthians. Chapter 7, and uh, again, it's, uh, he put it on two pages, which is nice, but he put it on 20 font. It's big. Uh, that's all right. Uh, so we're going to take this in several different parts, and the first part's really short. So if you, like to, if, if you like to read, catch this one. Verse 1. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Therefore, we have these promises. Uh, if you remember from chapter 6 in that passage, Paul wrote about the need to separate ourselves from the worldly influences and uh, concern ourselves more with uh, spiritual influences or, or fellow believers. We had, a, we had a nice talk on, on what that means. But these promises, the, the commandment to come out from among them and be separated, it's coupled with a promise. I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters. And if we separate ourselves from worldly thinking and acting, we are promised a closer relationship with God. So we're going to purify ourselves from everything. Everything that contaminates both body and spirit. And I'm going to throw in, if I were to throw in something, I would throw in mind. Because that's what the good Greeks would do. Mind, body, and spirit. Perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. We often think of purity before the Lord only in terms of cleansing all filthiness of the flesh. But it doesn't just say body, does it? It says spirit. So let me, let me ask the question. What are the things that contaminate the body? Just curious. All right, the out... The, <laughs> oh, she's not wrong, dirt. Dirt. <laughs> 
uh, things things that impair the uh, the senses in many different ways: alcohol, drugs, yeah, nicotine. Sure. Hey, now you're, now you're getting personal. Sugar. It's water. It's water today. With Cheetos, that's sugar. I'll put that over there. What else contaminates? Let's see. Tattoos. Uh, when people say, Pastor, are you a Bible-believing church? I'm like, that's a dangerous question. Because we all, we all draw a line somewhere of, of what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. The Bible says don't put any markings on your body. I'm going to welcome tattoo people here. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I, I love it when people come into my office and say, Pastor, will you marry us? And uh, I, I, I know I talk a lot about wedding stories. Uh, and then they ask me about some social issues, like, where do you, where do you stand on that? Are you a Bible believe in that? I'm like, dude, you got to, and I'm, I'm looking at a tattoo right here. Like, I, you're not even supposed to be here. <laughs> like, don't, don't tell me rules. Uh, say again? Laziness. Sexual immorality. I know I say it a lot, but my wife and I, I, I don't commit adultery. She don't commit murder. That's our Ten Commandment promise. Uh, there's, there's a part in a wedding where they would, all right, I have never done it, and I've never seen it in real life. Does anyone have just cause why these two people should not be joined at matrimony? Speak now or forever hold your peace. Have you ever seen that at a wedding, heard that at a wedding? You heard it? Yeah, I always, I always when I was growing up, I always thought, uh, you know, you, you see it on TV, right? And then what happens on, if it's on TV, of course, somebody jumps up and, and I love her. Don't marry him, right? Uh, when my wife and I got married, um, I wanted to have a little fun. So my brother, my brother and his, who was my roommate, I want, well, anyway, my brother and his roommate, we were roommates and then together, anyway, my, bro, my brother and his roommate, they were in a fencing club at the university together, like swordplay, fencing. And uh, so I thought it would be really funny, my brother's my best man, for the pastor to say, does anyone have just cause, why these two people? And his roommate in the back would jump up and says, I object. And my brother would jump up and say, I shall avenge you, and they'll have a little sword fight in the wedding. The pastor said, we're not doing that. Which is the right answer. <laughs> I was 20-something and dumb, but... Uh, uh, but we always take that question and mean, uh, does any, are you all okay with this? That's not why the question is asked. And I promise there's a point to this in the, in the thing. Uh, the reason we ask the question, especially in the olden days, before there was marriage licenses, before you had to go to the county courthouse and show IDs, uh, when it was just all rough and tumble out here in the frontier, it was just asking the congregation, asking the community, does anyone know why this can't happen? I'm not asking your opinion on this wedding. I'm asking, do you know why? Is he married in another state? Does she have 14 kids that he don't know about? Is she 15? Like, ages. Does anyone know why this can't happen? And then someone could say, you know, well, and, and provide some legal 
objection. It was, it was never a, I don't like this, or I like them, why are they marrying them? It was more information gathering. So sexual immorality, you're talking here in Corinth when there's child prostitution. When Jeffrey Epstein Island is pale in comparison to what's going on here. So those are all good examples of things that uh, corrupt the flesh. What corrupts the spirit? What contaminates the spirit? Gossip. I heard someone say that once. Yeah. Say again. Hate and prejudice. Pride. Selfishness. Profanity. My kids are at the age where, you know, Dad, why can't we say some of these words? I'm like, because it, it, it just kind of grows into your, grows up here. And uh, you know people who use words without meaning to use the words. That's how insidious they become. Um, I, I know because it it's in my family. I got, a, I got a brother that every other, every other word is a swear word. And he doesn't even know he's doing it. it. But it just becomes a part of the, you know, what, what the mouth practices. The mouth says. I'm not a. I, I'm not. I'm not an angel. Uh, I'm not upset so much about profanity, but use it with a use it with with a purpose. Use it with. Uh, I know my mom is mad when I hear a certain word, and I know to back up. Uh, Pornography, it's the number one, uh, it's, it's, it's they're, they're the two growing addictions in North America today. Um, pornography, because it's, it's right here, right? And online gambling, it's right here. Uh, watch the Super Bowl Sunday, you'll, you'll see commercials for gambling. Just do it from your phone. Doesn't matter if it's illegal or legal here in, in Idaho. If you hook up your credit card to it, it's, you can do it. Um, the number one cause of suicide in, in uh, men in colleges, financial troubles, mostly brought on by gambling. Yeah. Uh, perfecting holiness. Um, this is something to add. Paul isn't writing about some state of sinless perfection, but perfection in this sense has some, some sense of completeness. Wholeness. What makes your life whole? Um, instead of a state of sinless perfection, uh, it's, it's it's one of our promises that it's one of the promises that we keep as Methodist pastors. Believe it or not. Uh, so when we we become a pastor, we have to stand up before the annual conference and we have to make some promises and we have to answer some questions. And one of the questions is, uh, it sounds very self righteous. Are you are you moving on to any other Methodist pastors in the in the place? Yeah, what's what? How's the phrase go? Are you moving on to perfection? We have to answer, and of course, the correct answer is yes. I've never heard anyone say no. Yeah. Uh, with a perfection one, and then uh, the, the follow-up question is: Do you think you'll be made perfect in this lifetime? We're supposed to answer yes. <laughs> now, not perfect as in sinless. But in just trying to walk that straight and narrow in such a way that that we that we that that, that sin doesn't bother us, 
The evil one looks at us and goes, you know what? It's, I'll, I'll take the low-hanging fruit over here. <laughs> that's, that's the hope. Now, of course, we're not saints. We're just pastors. Uh, but we're trying. We're trying, we're trying, we're trying. Uh, Wesley, John Wesley, that was his, his line, Christian perfection. Um, knowing that we can't be perfect, perfect. But you've got to aim for something, right? Got to aim for something. That's a big word, sanctification. What does sanctification mean? Moving towards perfection. Let's do verses 2 through 7. Paul's joy over the church's repentance. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you, I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have spoken to you with great frankness. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. For when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his comings, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Paul was completely honest with the Corinthian Christians. Now he tells them they must be honest also, and he's open to seek and open to seeing the truth about Paul and his ministry. Because by then, the Corinthian Christians had believed many a bad thing about Paul. That God wasn't using him, that he didn't have the kind of image, the authority, or power that an apostle should have. You're a tent maker. How can you be an apostle if you're a tent maker? You've been shipwrecked. You don't look, you don't look like someone of God. And if you're trying to get people into the ministry, who wants to follow in, in, into those hardships? Their problem was not an information problem, but a problem within their hearts. Their hearts should have been open to the world. Their hearts have been open to the world, but not to Paul. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, we've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. Paul reminds the Corinthians that they already knew, despite what some troublemakers said about Paul. They had no good reason to criticize him. Uh, the, the defrauding one. Remember that he was organizing a collection for the poor Christians in Judea, back in Jerusalem. He had a significant amount of money that he was overseeing. It'd be easy to say, how much of that are you skimming off the top? That's what Judas did, right? If it could happen to a disciple, it could happen to an apostle. I don't say this to condemn. Paul's desire isn't to condemn the Christians, but to restore the bonds of fellowship he once had. He doesn't want to wag his finger as much as hug. He wants, he wants to have the relationship that he once had. When I have to discipline one of my children, it's not because I want them to feel small, but I want to restore the relationship that we had and to get over the little bump and the hump that we, that uh, whatever it is that we just, just went through. 
Uh, grit is the boldness of speech. Yes, yes, Paul has been bold in his criticism of the Corinthians, but also bold in boasting about them. If you're going to criticize your kids, you better also lift them up. Have so many praises to so many negative things. Yeah. Uh, maybe someone else knows the science more. Uh, when when someone, someone says something negative about you, how many positives does it take to outdo that? I've, I've heard seven, I've heard three. Somewhere like, do you all remember when someone trash-talked you? Yeah. And it could have been years ago, but it still sticks up here. Remember when someone praised you for something? But it takes about seven-ish, again, and it's not a real science, but it, it takes so many more positives to counteract whatever negatives we have in your heart. Yeah. I am filled with comfort, joyful in all tribulations. Uh, despite the many trials that Paul faced within and without, he found joy. And part of that joy was good news from the Corinthian Christians. Something God wants us to endure tribulation with a blank, stoic face. You know, have that, that stiff upper lip. But God wants more than that. He wants us to be super bound in joy, even, even in tribulation. Uh, when Paul speaks of the coming of Titus, he actually picks up where he left off in chapter 2. So we're in, we're in chapter 7, right? So if, if, if you look at the structure, you don't have to, but if you look at the structure of 2 Corinthians, verse, uh, the first chapter is all kind of, uh, just kind of the opening statements, if you will, the, the, the greeting and why I'm writing. Two kind of goes into the bulk of it. But honestly, halfway through two to right about now, it, Paul went off on a tangent, uh, big time, to, to, to try to clear his character. And now he's kind of jumping back on board. Does anyone know a pastor who like is in the middle of something and says, hold on, I got something else to say, and goes off and then comes back? Yeah, yeah, I think I know one too. <laughs> so, so Paul is not actually writing these. He, has, he probably has a scribe. He has someone writing, dictating. And so Paul's going off the cuff here. And he's, he, all right, I'm going to write this letter, write down what I say. Da, 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 da. Oh, oh, and another thing. And so chapters 2 through 7 are pretty much this. Kind of gets off topic on the letter. But it's some of the most... Beautiful writing we have in the New Testament, and now he's he's getting kind of back on track. So it it ends off with Titus in chapter two, and now we're getting oh yeah, got to get back to Titus. So here we are. Our flesh had no rest; we were troubled on every side. Paul had a hard time in Macedonia. Think think northern Greece. That's where Macedonia is. Um, but Titus came to Paul when he was in Macedonia, and he brought a good report on what the Corinthian Christians were, what they were doing and how they were turning back to Christ and to Paul. And in spite of all of his frustrations with the Corinthians and in the midst of his afflictions and ministry, Paul had real confidence and hope because Titus brought him a good report on how things were going. Because uh, I think it's true. You can have a good day or you can have a bad day, and it's got nothing to do with you. Does that make sense? My dad told me that once. My dad could have a good day or a bad day. It just depends if his kids had a good day or a bad day. You know, and, and now as a dad, I, you know, I could have a good day or a bad day, but if my kids have a bad day, I, I feel it. No matter what's going on in my life. 
And if my kids have a great day, then I, I celebrate, even if it's going, uh, going badly in my own life. I can, still, I can still celebrate, and that's where Paul's at. Uh, Paul is encouraged no matter what he's going through uh, because they're coming back into the Lord. And <laughs> we, get, we get some of the, the, the same words that we had at the beginning, comfort, a lot of comfort, 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 comfort. Not only by his coming, but by the comfort you had given him. If you go back to the first chapter of 2 Corinthians, it's all comfort. Uh, the God, all, God of all comfort who comforts us is in our tribulations, and he comforts us so that we may provide comfort to those who are in distress. Uh, sometimes I open up a funeral with that line. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. This is Paul's life in ministry. It was a life of blessing, but also a life of many conflict and, and inner doubts. On the outside, Paul was constantly in conflict with enemies of the gospel. And on the inside, he was battled with stress and anxiety of ministry. I don't know how relevant this question is, but um, <clears throat> Paul was uh, persecuting Christians in the beginning. And I've always, <clears throat> excuse me, I've always wondered if um, some of the anxieties that he had and the trouble that he had with people uh, went back to that, that time in his life, uh, his own guilt perhaps, and uh, just, you know, how word is passed around from person to person. I, I just wondered about how much of that interfered with his Apostleship. It's a good question. I, I can't answer for Paul, but if, if I had that kind of past, it would certainly stay with me. Even though I'm forgiven, it's, it's, it, you know, it's, it's still there. Cool. Let's do verses 8 through 12. You'll notice that 12 stops right before the end of the paragraph. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrows bring repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you? What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourself, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done, and at every point you have proven yourself to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was neither on account of the one who did the wrong nor on account of the injured party but rather that before God you could see for yourself how devoted to us you are. Thank you. Even if I caused you sorrow with my letter. Which letter? Not this one. Not 1 Corinthians. The last one. There's one in between, believe it or not, and it's lost. We don't, we don't know where it's at. Um or it didn't make the vote to make it into the New Testament, or it was so, mm, it was harsh. It was a harsh letter. 
Do you ever have those letters? Uh, have you ever heard of someone writing a letter that they never intend to send? Where they write down all their feelings and everything they want to say, and they don't mail it? Paul mailed his. Uh, here, here, here's the sequence of, of events. Um, see if I could get this right. Things were going badly among the Christians in Corinth, and in an attempt to get them back on track, Paul made a quick, unplanned visit just to, hey, I'm checking in. I heard things were going bad. And, it didn't, and, and his visit didn't help. It made things worse. Uh, this is the sorrowful visit mentioned in a previous chapter. And after the failure of that visit, Paul decided not to visit Corinth again in person at the time, but instead sent Titus with him with a strong letter of rebuke. Paul was very worried about how the Corinthians would receive the letter and whether it would turn them to Jesus or just make them angry. So now Titus is coming back with good news from the Corinthian Christians. He was greatly relieved. It was a harsh letter, so they're either going to accept it or they're going to hate me forever. And if they hate me, they're going to walk away from the Lord. But Titus comes back with an encouraging word. Um, I do not regret sending it, says Paul. When Paul first wrote the sorrowful letter carried by Titus, he didn't enjoy the idea of being so confrontational, even though they may have deserved it. Um, and at the same time, when Titus came back and reported their response, uh, Paul was happy that the effect that the letter had. That's why he wrote, I don't regret it, because of what it produced. Uh, the same epistle made you sorry only for a while. In, I heard someone once say, in, in sin the pleasure passes, but sorrow remains. In repentance, the sorrow passes and pleasure remains. Uh, so uh, if, if we follow a life of sin, we might get pleasure, but there's a whole lot of sorrows attached to it later. Uh, and if we follow a, a godly path, uh, or repentance, uh, Lord, I'm sorry, the sorrow is only a blip, and then you have joy forever and ever. Amen. Paul makes a clear separation between, and I, had, I underlined it in my, uh, in my notes here, godly sorrow, worldly sorrow. Man alive, what's the difference between those two? Godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is when the parent yells at the kid and wants them to feel this small forever. Godly sorrow, the, point, the, the whole point of, of, of yelling at the kid in the first place is, is, is to correct behavior, but also bring him back into, into, a, into the right relationship uh, with you. Godly sorrow brings repentance, goes to salvation, leaves no regret. Worldly sorrow, uh, that, brings, that brings death. And he goes on to say, all this godly sorrow, look at, look at what it's done for you. Um, earnestness. Uh, eagerness to, sh uh, to clear yourselves. Uh, what indignation, alarm, longing, concern, readiness to see justice done. This is, this is good stuff. Let me play with a word for a second. Godly sorrow was uh, verse 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance. 
What's repentance? Turning back, turning. When we have the word re in front of something, what does that mean? Again, so repentance, take off the re, and we have penance. What's penance? Because if you repent, you're doing it again. Yeah, what is Webster's? Only the penitent man shall pass. And the penitence means uh, there's a humbleness there. Uh, there's a, uh, you're God, I'm not, sort of feel to it. Penitent man follows. So to repent means to, uh, to get back on that path, the path that you were once upon. Sometimes I just like to do that, all the words that start with a re. Remember. Reborn. Can you be reborn? Let me, let me play with remember again. Re, to do again. Member. Community, right? If you remember something, you are once again becoming a part of the thing, that community. You're recalling, you're recalling that, right? Yeah. Uh, do this in remembrance of me. When we remember, we once again remember that. We, we once become, uh, that relationship is, is whole once again. Yeah. And at every point, you've proved yourself innocent of this matter. When I wrote to you, uh, I didn't write it to, to prove someone wrong or to, or, to, or to be prideful in the fact that I was right, but rather just, just to see how devoted you are. The whole point of me writing that letter was not, to, not for me to shame you or not uh, to prove my own righteousness, but again, to fix that relationship once again. Again, it goes back to guilt and shame. Uh, shame, our unworthiness, guilt, our feelings after mistakes. Does God want us to feel shame? Maybe for a moment. But that's how we turn around, right? If we carry shame for years, that's not what God wants. He wants to bring us back into a right relationship with Him. All right, 13 to the end. By this we are all encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we, are especially, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by, you, by all of you. I had boasted to him about you, and you have not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And this affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I am glad I have complete confidence in you. The experience of Titus and Corinth and his report from there were sure evidence that, they had, that the Corinthian Christians are turning a corner here. Paul had hopefully boasted to Titus, 
Hey, Titus, I need you to go to these Corinthian Christians. They're wonderful, wonderful people. I know I'm sending you a letter that, that, that just tells them all the bad stuff that they're doing, but they're really good people. And Titus is like, you want me to go to these people that mm-hmm, give them a letter, of, mm-hmm, and you want me to stay with them for a while? Yes. Titus went. And Titus, Titus found it a, a, a blessing, and he came back singing their praises. Paul assures the Corinthian Christians that Titus loves them more than ever now. Uh, probably Titus saw a lot of ugliness from them. And uh, from this, he, he may have had uh, like a chip on his shoulder against them. So Paul wants them to know that after what Titus saw and reported, that Titus loved them more than ever. Here's, here's, here's a unique thing about Titus. Uh, Titus. Titus was a Gentile. Titus is a Roman name. There, there, were, there were a couple of Roman empires, emperors uh, named Titus. Do you know what the Hebrew equivalent of the name Titus might be? Also starts with a T. And there's a Timothy. Timothy and Titus. Titus and Timothy. There's a book called Titus. And it's right after a book called Timothy. And it's funny, every time there's, a, there's listings of stuff going on in, in, the, in the Bible, uh, Paul and Silas are doing this, and there's lists of people, and if Timothy's in that list, Titus is not there. And anytime there's a list where Titus is, Timothy's not there. Some have speculated, I don't know if it's true or not, but some have speculated, is Titus and Timothy the same people? Uh, the same person, just by different names, depending on the audience that they were going for. I don't know. Uh, but it is, it's is—it's just one of those Bible mysteries out there. Yeah. I rejoice that I have confidence in you. Is Paul being sarcastic? Probably not. He could have been. But he's probably simply just trying to encourage them more, showing them that he is convinced their repentance was genuine. Um, thus, by praising them, uh, if someone writer said, thus by praising them, he further uh, win them over. Uh, sour and sweet, sweet and sour make the best sauce. At the end of this chapter, Paul praises them, and they seem to be in a place of victory. Uh, in the sorrowful letter, there was no praise, uh, but there's praise here in this chapter. All throughout this chapter, we see how Paul was about his relationship with the Corinthian Christians. Um, this shows that people were just as important to Paul as ministry. He didn't want to do ministry at the expense of his relationship with them. And almost everything Paul did, it was to fix relationships. It was to bring people closer to Christ. And uh, that's why he wrote the letter. Uh, to encourage, to bring them back, and to remind them that even if they had differences, we can still love each other. Next Wednesday, Valentine's Day, or as my buddy calls it, Singles Awareness Day. Uh, it's also Ash Wednesday. We will have we'll have an Ash Wednesday devotional and and ashes upon the forehead, uh, come at one of three different times. One's at seven? Is it seven? I should know it because I'm the one who made them. Seven? All right. 
12.30 and 5.30. Uh, so depending if it, uh, most of you are retired, but if, you know, if you're on the way to work, you can swing by. We'll have a quick devotion, maybe a song on the guitar. Remember that you are Ash. Uh, or at 12.30 at lunchtime or on the way home. That way, uh, if you also have dinner plans with your sweetie, you can, you can catch those as well. Awesome. Uh, thank you for your help, and I uh, appreciate you helping tear down tables and chairs and kitchen. But we will see you Sunday. Mm-hmm.